Rev it up and welcome to Cars Yeah, show number 2,339. Today, we continue our celebration of the 6th annual Philadelphia Concordial Elegance. It takes place June 24th at the Simeon Foundation Automotive Museum. To learn more, get your tickets, go to the philadelphiaconcord.com website today. Be prepared to be inspired. This is Cars Yeah, where you'll enjoy interviews with inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Mark Green is here to provide you with a fuel injection of automotive inspiration. So get in, sit down, buckle up, and get ready for a wild ride here on Cars Yeah. Hello, inspiring automotive enthusiasts, and welcome to Cars Yeah. Well, today I'm back across the pond in Cambridge in the UK with... A gentleman who's traveling, but will be coming back for a very special event by the name of Prescott Kelly. Prescott, welcome to Cars Yeah. Do you have any gear, and are you ready to release the clutch? <laughs> uh, in a low gear and uh, all set. Thanks very much, Mark, and it's uh, good to finally get together with you. Oh, I'm so happy because I've known of Prescott Kelly forever because, of course, he's the name in the Porsche world. And as my listeners know, I'm a big Porsche fanatic. I've had so many Porsches. It's my mark of choice. And we're going to be talking about Porsche today, also about the Philadelphia Concours and a whole lot more. But before I introduce you with something a little more formal, what's one little thing that most people don't know about Prescott Kelly? Probably the car-related thing most people don't know is that for about 20 years, I had an affliction with muscle cars and woody wagons. What? Okay, I didn't know that either. What the heck? Always had a 356 through the whole era, but went through, oh, half a dozen muscle cars, always had two, went through eight woodies, and at one point had six at one time. Oh, my gosh. And then... Uh, in 82, um, after Porsche was a featured market Monterey for the first time, I gradually moved over to uh, all Porsche all the time. Wow. Well, there you go. Well, I always say if it rolls on rubber, I probably love it, <laughs> uh, although Porsche seems to be the, the car of choice. And I still have BMWs in my garage as well. But uh, yeah, Porsches are the way that I've gone since I was a little kid. Well, let's talk about that and a whole lot more with an introduction. Prescott Kelly is a past national president of the Porsche Club of America. He's the only person ever to be awarded the Lifetime Achievement Awards in both PCA and the 356 registry. So so this runs through his veins. Today, he's better known as contributing editor, writing the Porsche profiles for Sports Car Market Magazine. He also writes 5,000-word bi-model market analysis for Porsche Panorama and the Market Watch column for the 356 Registry Magazine. Subscribe to all of those. Fresh out of graduate school in 1967, Prescott's first purchase was a 1965 356 SC Coupe, followed a year later by a 63 cab and went down from there after he got his first 911 in 1982 a black 73 carrera rs geez he started off uh in a pretty good place with 911s that led to 35 years of racing with svra scca hsr and hmsa first in a 68r and then a 65 trans am 911 and lastly a 72 ST with occasional races in one of his 550 prototypes, 550 06, 550 12. My gosh, 
Prescott, you're just having too much fun. Retired now, Prescott spends his time seeking out special Porsas. Prescott will be a panelist in this year's Philadelphia Concord de Elegance, along with the guests on my last two shows, both Jack and Woody. We'll be back in just a moment, but first a word from our sponsors, so give them a little love, and we'll be right back. Years ago, when it was time to renew my collector car insurance policy, my carrier's rates went up way up, but my usage was the same and I never made a claim. I didn't even have a ticket. So what's with that? So I turned to American Collectors Insurance. Has your collector car insurance recently raised your rates for no good reason? Tired of paying an annual membership fee? Then it's time to look around and call American Collectors Insurance. I shopped around, I asked friends for recommendations and found a winner that I can trust. And boy, I'm glad I did. I saved hundreds of dollars every year and slept better at night knowing my baby was properly insured. American Collectors Insurance have been protecting vehicles since 1976. They provided me with an agreed value insurance policy backed by their history of taking great care of their clients. What could be better than that? So give them a call and ask for a quote today. 866-ACI-YEAH. That's 866-224-9324. And protect the ones you love like I did with American Collectors Insurance. Classic car insurance designed by collectors for collectors. Did you know that Cars Yeah is in the top 1% of all podcasts based on listenership, according to Lipson, the premier RSS feed for podcasts in the United States? That's right. Plus, DuPont Registry recommended Cars Yeah is one of their top 10 car podcasts for you to enjoy. Cars yeah has experienced tremendous growth, plus your ads are evergreen, meaning they never go away. And more and more listeners find Cars yeah every day for their daily dose of automotive inspiration. Do you want to expose your brand to a highly targeted list of automotive enthusiasts in a very unique and very personal way? Well, I can help you. Contact me, Mark Green, at mark at carsyeah.com or through the website at carsyeah.com today to learn more. For several years now, you've heard me talk about Linkage Magazine. I've been a subscriber since the start. Their talented and creative team brings you a spectacular publication and website that shares the automotive passion from a worldwide perspective. Linkage is about driving, restoring, collecting, and firsthand experience at collector car auctions and more. They bring you real-world values plus rational, experienced opinions on the current markets. They cover the automotive world and the people who share our passions. And Linkage Magazine has grown, mailing you six issues annually. Join me on this journey with Linkage. They're geared for the automotive life. You can subscribe at LinkageMag.com. Prescott, we are back. So before we get into the Philadelphia Concours and your involvement there, I got to go back in time and have you give a little better history of Porsches. How did you get involved with them? You mentioned that you also liked muscle cars, woodies and all that, but your career, your life, what enabled you to get into this life of Porsches? A seed was set when a uh, classmate of mine coming out of secondary school was given a 56 Speedster. I graduated in 1961 from high school, and a classmate of mine got a 56 Speedster as a graduation gift. This was a school in the South, and we all lived and died by Tri-5 Chevys. Of course, yeah. I think my class of 33 boys, we had a dozen or maybe 13 or 14 Tri-5 Chevys. Uh, and my very first car was a 55 Bel Air convertible, Carl and, and charcoal gray. So we thought 
the Tri-5 Chevys were the end-all, be-all until Calvin showed up and with this little red speedster. And I didn't understand why it was such a special car, but I noticed that the motor was tiny and the car seemed as fast around our dormitory circle, a very, very unofficial skid pad, <laughs> only for certain hours of the day and night yeah. when, when dorm daddies were gone. Yeah. So I, I, just, I just logged that in. And then going home after graduating from high school, I bought the May 1961 issue of Road and Track, which I still have. And in it, it talked about some SCCA nationals coming up. And one set of them was at Bridgehampton. So I went to Bridgehampton and there was a gentleman there I came to know and co-drive with much later in life uh, named Bruce Jennings. Oh, my gosh. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> and Bruce was on the track with a couple of guys driving big cars, seemingly capable. Walt Hankston in a Jag E-Type. Uh, in addition to Walt Hankston, there was Bob Grossman who was driving a vet, um, a lot of big block, bigger block than Porsches, let's say. They weren't big block cars necessarily, um, but uh, larger displacement cars than a 1600 Porsche. And Bruce was pretty much beating them all up on the Bridgehampton circuit. Not a real tight circuit, as most old, old racers will, will know, but slightly favored smaller cars, say, unlike Mid-Ohio or Road Atlanta. So, on a break between races, I went over in the paddock um, to Mr. Jennings and said, excuse me, sir, but can you explain to me why this little car is running up front with the much bigger? <laughs> yeah, what's, what's going on here? <laughs> and Bruce said, well, Sonny, if you'll sit down and hand me tools when I need them, I'll tell you the story. So he started telling me the story, and then he was adjusting his rear brakes, I believe, and he asked me for a box 10. And I said, yeah, I'm really sorry, Mr. Jennings. I have no idea what a box 10 is. Mm -hmm. And he said, uh, well, this isn't going to work. He said, so your new job is to keep me in lit luckies. <laughs> so he smoked, uh, chain smoke, lucky strikes. I smoked one cigarette in my life and thrown up afterwards. So yeah, I was me too. <laughs> about my new job. Yeah. But I learned to light Lucky's by puffing on them instead of inhaling. Uh. And I kept him in Lucky's, and he told me the story of how engine placement and the correct setup with the um, um, you know suspension tweaking that knew he knew how to do, and the motor tweaking that he and Heinz Bada knew how to do, that he could um, produce a really awesome 1600cc automobile. Uh, so that was my introduction to them from a technical point of view. I admired the engineering, as Bruce explained it, went on to read about it for four more years. Oh, no, that would be wrong, for six more years. And then when I got out of grad school, my first purchase out of grad school was to buy that um, 356 SE Coupe that you mentioned earlier. And then from there, it was simply a matter of keeping Lots of different cars on the road and enjoying them all, although I had to rent garages all around our neighborhood, particularly for the Woodies, which were large. Yeah. Until I got to Monterey in 82. And in Monterey in 82, I um, went to the the uh, Monterey Historics for my first time. It was about their fifth or sixth year, fifth year. And uh, Porsche was a featured mark for the first time. And I saw all these old guys, well, middle-aged and old, having a ball racing these old Porsches. And I said, well, I want to do that. And uh, 
that led me, I'd been a member of the Porsche Club since 67, but that led me to go back and get active, ask what kind of car to buy, to go to driver's ed to see if I could drive. And they recommended an RS, so that became my first 911. And at that point, I said, oh, wow, I see what the fuss is all about. <laughs> uh, but I still have that 63 cab. The 65 coupe went away uh, for the RS, and, uh, but I kept the 63 cab uh, for now. I guess I've had it 55 years. My goodness. And then they've added lots of other things. Most of them had to come and go because in the early days, you had to sell one to buy the next. Yep. Yeah, been there, done that. You know, I've known of you in the Porsche group for so long, and now I understand why, because I, you're a bit my senior, but I got involved with Porsches and joined the... I'm trying to think when I joined the Porsche Club and started getting the magazines. I believe I was in college. Might have been even last year of high school. But uh, yeah, it seems like you just been a part of the deal forever and ever. And definitely, when you look at all the cars you've done, you definitely have. And uh, so as we fast forward to what's coming up here, because we don't talk about this event, Judy's going to be mad. She goes, you guys, all you did was talk about Porsches. I need you to talk about my event. Uh, it's the sixth annual Philadelphia Concord, and it takes place June 23rd, 24th. It's at the beautiful Simeon Foundation Automotive Museum in Philadelphia. Have you been there before? Yes, I've had one trip there. I knew Fred not real well, but he and I judged together, I think, three or four times. Lovely, lovely man. But going back to the early 80s, he and I used to compete when he was still an active, cutting edge, very, very accomplished doctor. And in the 80s, he and I used to compete against each other for literature, uh, old Porsche literature. Oh, really? So I got to know Fred in the 80s only on the phone when he would call me to say something like, I think you are talking to Jack Smith about buying his Gamoon brochure, but I really need that one. And I said, no, Fred, I really need it because, yeah. oh, gosh. you know, there are four versions, the two displacements, the two different types of body and the two languages. So there's four versions. And and uh, I really need that one because I only have two of the versions. And he said, well, I only have one of the versions. And I said, well, you can buy that one then. And then the next one we find that I don't have, either you or I find I get it. Yeah. And then you get the next one and we'll, all, we'll both end up with all four. So he thought that was magnanimous and we got to be friends. So we talked literature for many, many years before we ever talked cars. Well, that's funny. I had no idea you had that relationship with him. Well, he's created such a wonderful collection of cars. And since you've been there, you know, and I encourage people, if you can't make this event, you got to go visit the museum because, of course, sadly, we lost him recently. But that museum will carry on the legacy that he's created for people to enjoy these old race cars and old race cars he did enjoy. And this event this year, they're kind of dubbing it the Porsche Delphia, which <laughs> kind of makes sense. And that's why you're going to be there along with Jack. Jack Atkinson's, who was yesterday's guest, and uh, Woody, who was on Monday. Uh, Hurley Haywood, I hear, is going to pipe in on video. He's been a guest here a couple times. Can we talk a little bit about what you guys are going to be chatting about? What is this going to be all about? Well, you know, we actually have no idea. We'll <laughs> You're just going to talk Porsches and cars, right? But, you know, the beautiful thing about Jack and Hurley and Alwyn and Woody is that they were all there in the days when the rubber hit the track. Yeah. Um, they were pioneers in various aspects of Porsche's racing success in the United States and internationally a, a little bit. 
with their teams, uh, of course, Jack at Brumos and uh, Woody with Penske. You know, they've got firsthand hands-on experience, which will be difficult for anybody to um, to match. And so, you know, my role is likely to be to add um, anecdotes and historical notes uh, going, you know, to the deep past of Porsche history. And uh, they'll be the stars. Uh, Simeone's cars um, are really the stars because they are beautifully curated, beautifully taken care of, and they all work. None of them are furniture pieces. And Fred was uh, Fred was in love with his cars, and um, and he did a wonderful thing in creating the museum and then turning it over to the foundation so that it will live on. And all of us who love cars owe it to honor Fred by going there. Uh, and a great time to do it would be this weekend, which is Porsche's 75th anniversary year. Yeah. Uh, which is why the museum is honoring Porsche with their Concorde. And the Concorde should be very exciting. They've lined up a lot of exciting Porsches, and uh, I think it'll be a good show. And our little uh, talk on Saturday afternoon is just a very small part of a very big weekend. It's going to be fun. Will you be heading out to the uh, Porsche Parade this year? I think it's going to be in the Palm Springs desert area, right? Yeah, and it's, uh, it's happening before I get home. So it's actually happening this coming weekend. Oh, that's right. Okay. Yeah. Well, there's just always so many things to do, but uh, you're going to be sitting among royalty. Again, you listeners just go to philadelphiaconcord.com. You can learn a lot more. Get your tickets. Very affordable. It's $25 the Concord ticket. I mean, what Concord can you go to these days? It's $25. I don't think there's yeah. any, <laughs> unless they're completely free. And of course, the Philadelphia Eagles coach, Dick Vermeil, who's a past guest here, is the honorary chairman for the Friday evening gala, which you can attend that as well. And they're going to have silent auction items and and everything. I want to dive into your life a little bit more here, Prescott, because I'm so happy I finally got you on the show. Is there somebody, when you look back in your past, this could relate to business world or the Porsche world or the car world that was highly influential in your life that really made a difference? Maybe a mentor, perhaps? Very interesting. I think the guy who might have made one of the bigger differences was actually a friend. And it's a gentleman named Ernst Benzian, who died in 2016. Uh, Ernst was another Porsche guy, but Ernst was a, uh, and he was a third generation German. His family were bakers in Heidelberg. And his um, parents were both born in this country, but his grandparents were all uh, born in Germany. And um, his father was an engineer, so Ernst became an engineer, and he was technically quite competent. He actually liked to rebuild fuel pumps and carburetors. He ran a major air conditioning, the premier air conditioning installation business in uh, Fairfield County in Lower Connecticut. In his spare time, he, he played with cars. He was fixated on originality. And I had always thought that originality was important because if you had an all-original car, you knew it hadn't been wrecked and repaired. If you had all original paint, you knew the metal under there was all original. But I had never appreciated trim items, rubber items, other aspects of the car in maintaining their originality. I was kind of fixated on original paint. And he got me to appreciate all of the 
hundreds and perhaps thousands of details of other aspects of 356s. He was strictly a 356 guy, absent one 924 GTS and a couple of turbos that he uh, he liked to drive as his everyday cars. Um, Ernst and his family and um, I and my family were all quite close. And uh, so he took my interest in cars to another level. I had gone through the car part. I'd gone through the ephemera factory sales literature, parts manuals, owner's manuals, built two collections of that stuff as complete as almost any human being could do it, did 10 toys and models, um, factory um, memorabilia, factory gifts, and posters, having a, a complete, as we say, a complete Lewandowski, which means every poster reproduced in his books. And, um, I've, you know, having done that oh and then i raced cars for 37 years yeah which was an exercise in enthusiasm and perseverance as opposed to ability and so <laughs> he introduced me to a, a new area of appreciation of cars which uh, i've continued uh, to this day and uh, for which i thank him sounds like a wonderful person to have in your life you know another thing we love to talk about here on cars you has challenges and it's really not so much the challenge it's more about the valuable lesson a difficult time teaches you. Could you share a challenge that you faced in your life? This could be in vintage racing world, cars, your life, whatever it might be. Well, for somebody who was born probably highly motivated and slightly OCD, the one thing, maybe not just slightly, was the uh, learning to enjoy the process and not having to have the victory. So when I started racing, I had just zero talent. I think I spun. I think I spun my RS, which I bought just to go to Porsche Club Drivers Ed, which is the greatest beginner school in the history of racing beginner schools. And I think I spun my car three times the first day. And um, my instructor then, a lovely guy named Eric Grossman in Connecticut Valley Region, where I still am, he uh, he stuck with me for uh, a number of months and number of schools. And then I just found that if I worked at it hard enough, I could learn it. Uh, it helped to have a very good car. And so I did driver's ed for a couple of years, became an instructor after one year and kept at it. But then I went wheel to wheel racing and SCCA and in vintage. And there winning uh, was the important thing, not how well you drove. And it was a whole different coda. And I had to learn to enjoy the process and to be happy going home without a trophy. And uh, actually, it was so much fun that the trophies and the national championships um, were nice, but they were mostly garnered through enthusiasm and hard work as opposed to talent. And I just enjoyed the process. So I, I changed the whole outlook from having to have the best or be the best to um, learning just to appreciate the process uh, and if you win, lose, or draw, or you don't win the concours, uh, life goes on. You have your family and your kids, and that's by far the most important part. That's a tough lesson for many people to learn. I've gone through the same thing, and it's the proverbial stop and smell the roses or uh, enjoy the trip, not so much the destination. And it's a hard thing for, 
some of us to, to learn. So I appreciate you sharing that, but it's oh so valuable. Yeah, uh, enjoy the process. And I uh, went through the same thing when I was racing vintage cars. My first vintage race car was not the fastest on the track and it just frustrated me to heck. I was always in the back. I was in a Lotus 18 Formula Junior racing with Formula Fords that all had bigger engines, disc brakes. And yeah. I just, I couldn't keep up. So I finally ended up in a Lola T290. Then I was up front. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So that's, yeah, that's a good car. That changed things a little bit, but uh, I understand. But yeah, learning to just enjoy being there and being part of it. Same when it comes to Concours events. Now you've had so many very special vehicles. Is there one, if we could just pull one out today that you could share with us a little story of all these cars you've had, whether race cars or street cars? I'm going to tell you, it's not my favorite car, but it's the best story. Okay. I love it. Probably not the most meaningful car to me in my life, but the one with a really interesting story was how I came up with 550.06. Back in the early 80s, uh, Jim Perry and I started uh, what's now called the Porsche Lit Meet. Um, in the first two years, we held it in Chicago, and then we moved it to L.A., which transformed it and made it the big deal it is today. And I think next year is our 39th or 40th edition Bravo. <laughs> of that. And a few years ago, we let Bruce take it over, and it's part of the Stoddard uh, empire now for Bruce Schwartz. And he's run it the last four years, and we're still involved in helping him do lots of stuff. But a great event. But a guy comes up to me at the second one from Memphis, Tennessee, and says, do you know what a Porsche 500 is? And I said, well, maybe. I said, small, probably silver engine in the back. And he says, yeah, yeah. He said, but it's got a lot of problems. He's the right-hand door doesn't work, and it doesn't have the right motor in it. And, you know, it's old and kind of beat up. Uh, but it's for sale. The gentleman who owns it has had it since 1964, and uh, he wants to sell it because he's getting elderly. And he's asking ten grand for it. And if you want it, you just got to pay him the ten grand. You can't negotiate. A guy tried that, and it led to a, a big mix-up and a lot of hurt feelings. So if you want the car, just pay the asking price. And I said, well, unless the thing's a rolling wreck, you know, it's a, it's a, probably a very fair price. And he said, well, look, I'll, when I get home, I'll call you and give you Fred Roush's phone number. So on Sunday night, the Sunday after the Saturday lit meet, I get a call, got the phone number, called Fred, talked to Fred. Fred told you, I said, I'd like to come see the car. He said, Fred said, when do you want to come? I said, how about tomorrow? And tomorrow <laughs> morning, I, uh, that next morning on a Monday, I went to LaGuardia, flew to Memphis, and uh, drove out to see Fred. Um, the car was in a garage that had been now closed in in his yard by him adding a, a bedroom to the end of the house. So it hadn't moved in a long time. And back there... Uh, outside on a trailer, one-car garage, was a 57 coupe, a 1300 Super, that he had completely disassembled, and all the parts were in the garage with the Spider. In fact, a lot of the parts were in the Spider. So I asked him if we could roll it out, and we rolled it out. And uh, it, in fact, had a welded-up passenger door. It had a 1600 Super motor in it from 1960, and it had two great big holes cut in the front. And the history of the car was, uh, which Fred didn't fully know, but um, uh, I knew because I had read up on prototype 550s on the plane coming out out of Carl Ludvigsen's book. And uh, was, the car was built for 
hunched up to take to Buenos Aires to run in the thousand clicks of Buenos Aires in January of 54. And they built it in a hurry. They didn't have a four cam ready, so they stuck a push rod in it. They uh, wired two little beehive taillights into it, not the normal spider taillights that the prototypes had, which are sort of like VW type four taillights. And it did have the two big holes cut in it, but car had a good history uh, hunched up, took it to the 1,000 kilometers, Buenos Aires, won his race, sold the car to a, um, a South American racer named Bino Heinz, who bought a four-cam for it. Bino raced it a few times and sold it to a um, Guatemalan who raced the thing in the Carrera Panamericana, who sold it over in turn to a West Coast Porsche distributor in the old day. Competition Motors, John von Neumann, bought the car, and Ken Miles then raced it about 24 times for Von Neumann in SCCA and Cal Club races in F Modified and did very, very well with it. And it was Von Neumann who put the, cut the big air holes into the front of the car to help cool the front brakes. And Von Neumann bought several newer Spiders after that, and Miles kept racing 06 because he said the car was looser. Um, which meant it flexed more, but he found it easier to toss into corners, to toss and catch it. So he raced the car, and then it went into storage, ended up as a hill climb car in New Jersey, and that's where Fred Rausch bought it. He bought it from the service manager of Siegfried Motors in New Jersey, and then he hill climbed it after 64 until he moved to Memphis. He was a GE aircraft engine, engine engineer, and a uh, second-generation German, a very good mechanic. He kept a car in fine fettle. So I said, I sat down with him after I looked at it and said, uh, Mr. Roush, I'd like to buy your car. And he said, well, the price is 10000 bucks, and I apologize for that. And I said, well, why? He said, well, some jerk from the Porsche Club in Arkansas comes over here to buy the car. And he tells me, this is wrong with it, and this is wrong with it, and this is wrong with it. And I was asking 7500 bucks at the time, and he offered me five grand, and I turned it down. He said, now, I calculated the 7500 very carefully. He said, I paid X dollars for it in 1964. I looked up the consumer price index. I multiplied by the factor for inflation from 64 till today. This was about 1983, and, um, and that was my price, 7500 But this guy ticked me off, so I sent him away. Half an hour later, he's back at the front door, and he says, okay, okay, I'll give in. I'll pay you 6500 bucks." And Fred said to him, I'm really, really sorry. There's obviously something about me you don't like and don't understand, but the price is $7,500. It's a take it or leave it, as I've explained. Now, please go away. Yeah. Fred leaves. Half an hour later, doorbell rings. Fred answers it. Guy says, okay, okay, okay. I'll give you your damn $7,500. And Fred says to him, gee, I am so, so sorry. But after you left last time, I raised the price on the car to ten grand. <laughs> Good for him. <laughs> so I said to him, he's a lovely guy. So I said to him, uh, Mr. Mr. Roush, you know, the car is probably worth thirty grand the way it stands. Um, so the the little single tail lights are probably original of the car. The welded up passenger door is probably original of the car. Motor's obviously missing. Gearbox is wrong. Yeah, and the bodywork is a little rough, but it's got great patina, and it's probably worth thirty. He says, "Wow, 
you really think it's worth 30? And I said, I think it could be worth 30 grand. He said, well, good for you. So write me a check for 10 and we'll be friends forever. <laughs> well, that was not, I was waiting for you to say now the price is 30 grand. <laughs> so. And he was a man of his word. Yeah. So he stuck to the 10 grand and, uh, and I bought the car and loved it for many years till I sold it to buy 55012, which was a factory history, Le Mans car, factory team car at Le Mans that won its class at Le Mans in 54 was a, a slightly better example. It had its original four count motor which was hard to believe. Anyway. Wow, what a story. Well, 550 is one of my favorite old race cars of Porsche. The closest I ever got to that was a, a Beck Spider that John Wilhoit built for a client uh, that he sold to me that he had built with uh, all Porsche parts in it, which was kind of cool. You know, a beefed up John Wilhoit. Uh, it had a 56 Speedster motor that he had bi- built up and a work steering wheel and Speedster seats, but it, it was not the real deal like you're dealing with. So, oh my goodness, that is very cool. Well, I'm a bit of a car psychologist. I'm going to crawl into your skull a little bit here today, Prescott. If you were reincarnated as a vehicle, this isn't what you want to be, though. This is how you perceive yourself as a vehicle. What would you be and why? Oh, wow. That is a good question. (laughs) I would probably feel most comfortable being a 73 RS. (laughs) The quintessential long hood. (laughs) Um, and it's a toss-up between that and the 74 RS because the 74 RS is a much faster, better, and much more rare automobile. But the 73 RS is um, is just a very, very solid car. It's not flashy. I mean, you know, I have a aqua blue metallic with white gold trim 9972 GT3 RS, and, you know, that's flashy. And the 73 RSs are not. They're just very solid cars. They didn't look special, um, and all of the things that made them special were nuances in in each and every part. But the sum of the parts turned out a car that was very solid. So I'd say not solid, you know, very solid, not flashy, uh, stands the test of time, is a good car, it's good to people, and um, and it and it's well loved. That's the car car I'd want to be. As you are, Prescott. (laughs) I love it. Perfect. Well, we know that this event is raising funds for what's called the Cool Cars for Kids, the Children's Hospital of Philadelphia, which is a a group that helps families and children that have pretty rare diseases that are struggling with complexities and so forth. So I I love that aspect of it. And I want to make sure that we mention that because you listeners can go and learn a lot more about what they're doing at Children's Hospital of Philadelphia. And if you have the ways and means to help them out. They're always looking for help. So check it out. Now, here's another tough question for you, Prescott. A great book that you'd like to share with our listeners. About Porsches or about It cars? could be about anything that you think is cool, but you know, we're kind of on the uh, the Porsche Delphia track here. So uh, yeah. well I and I have many books, obviously. How bad? About probably four hundred. And then a lot of other car books in general. But I have to say that my favorite author and my favorite set of books is Carl Ludwigson's Excellence Was Expected, first published in 78 and then updated in, oh boy, I don't know, maybe 15 years ago in a two-volume set and then updated again a few years ago uh, in a three-volume set by adding later cars. And the reason I recommend it is it, in one place, particularly the original volume through 78, 
Um, the Carl went back to the factory in the, in the mid-70s when a lot of the people who were there at the founding of the firm and at major milestones in the firm's development were still alive and well and living around Stuttgart or were even still working at the, at the factory. And Carl uh, is very literate in German, is totally fluent in German, and he speaks engineering German, which is almost a different language. So he could talk to engineers in German-speak engineering. He could talk to management in good highbrow German, and he is very easygoing, non-threatening. He got him to open up. And then he recorded it all and put it all together in his book. So his book is a tour de force. And it's probably, you know, if, if I ask him to put uh, uh, one car book in with me when they let, light the gas flames, that would probably be it. Oh, goodness. Yeah. He was a guest back in uh, 2018, interview number 1130. I've got all those books, too. I mean, they're like the Bibles for Porsche World. So great guy. And I was very fortunate to have him as a guest on the show. So I'm the enabler here. I'm going to park any Porsche you would like to have in your garage. You can take it for a drive and you can take anybody with you, including Somebody that's from the past is no longer with us, which opens up the co-pilot situation to quite an interesting selection of people. What can I send you on a drive in today? I would take a Carrera GT. Nice. And I would grab Bruce Jennings. Oh, nice. Yeah. Bruce and I co-drove in the 911R. I bought the gold 911R from Miles Collier oh, nice. back, in the, back in the late 80s. Uh, after pursuing the car for years. And he had, of course, the much more famous uh, number five, which is a, 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 you know, the Tour de France car. And um, the gold car was a U.S. car, the only car delivered to the U.S. new. And so I talked him out of that. And Bruce had been co-driving that car, uh, not co-driving, had been driving that car four miles in vintage racing. And when I bought it, I asked Bruce to come co-drive with me in the car and, and he did for a couple of years. And he could tell more about a car by uh, just sitting in it and driving it three or four laps than anybody I ever knew. He had great feel for cars. And I would love to have him take the helm on a Carrera GT, <laughs> get comfortable with it, and then decide how good a car it is. Yeah, that would be something. <laughs> That'd be pretty cool. And those Carrera GTs are quite special. You've taken us on a marvelous drive today, and I can't thank you enough for taking a little time out of your uh, adventures over there uh, in Cambridge to talk with me today. Uh, before I let you go, could you share maybe some parting words of wisdom or inspiration? Uh, just this. I think the Philadelphia Concours is a very important event. I think it supports a very important children's hospital. And I want to remind people, the one thing I think we didn't mention is that there is also a rally on Saturday that they can register for now. Plenty of room left. The gala on Friday night, as you mentioned, has tickets available. But the one thing I'd like to leave us with is uh, let's go make Porsche Delphia a, a, a big all-time event for Porsche and for the city of Philadelphia. Absolutely. And a big shout out. Happy birthday to Porsche as well. Number 75. Wow. Time is time is flying by. I want to do another quick shout out to Judy Stropis, our mutual friend. She brings me some wonderful guests. So Judy, you hit the nail out of the, uh, or you hit the ball out of the ballpark here, I should say, the, the nail. 
not to nail into the coffin, the ball out of the ballpark here today with Prescott. Finally got him on the show. I'm so appreciative. So thank you, my friend. Prescott, thanks for being so generous with your time and expertise. Safe travels back to the Concord, Philadelphia Concord at Elegance. Until you and I talk again, I'll see you in Philadelphia. Take good care and thank you. You're welcome. If you're listening to this program, there's a pretty good chance you believe what I believe that the collector vehicles we love are more than just a means of getting from one place to the other. They're a part of our culture, our identity, and as a people, they bring us together at vintage races, classic car auctions, and thousand mile rallies. That's why I support the RPM Foundation, which exists to ensure that the critical skills necessary to preserve and restore these important vehicles aren't lost to time. RPM stands for Restoration, Preservation, and Mentorship. And their goal is to inspire the next generation of vehicle restoration professionals through its outreach programs. And they include Shop Hop, Off to the Races, the RPM Future Class, and many others. These programs engage talented young people across the country and connect them with mentors and a variety of opportunities in the industry. For more information on how the RPM Foundation is driving the future of collector vehicles skill trade, visit rpm.foundation today. Thank you so much for joining us on today's ride here at Cars Yeah! Drive on over to CarsYeah.com to find show notes and inspiring automotive fun. Download your free copy of Filler Up, a fun book filled with gorgeous photographs of fuel filler fun, including quotes from more inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Download your copy today, and we'll see you next time on Cars Yeah! Yeah!